Good morning, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Thank you so much for being here and being a proactive parent to get the resources that you need to help your child on your journey to autism recovery. And remember that the definition of recovery is to regain health, and that's what we want for your child, the healthiest and happiest child They deserve to live a fulfilling life. I was once told when my son was diagnosed with autism that he would not recover and that we would be managing his symptoms and that uh, we could try drugging him and behavioral therapies and that was it. But I didn't want to follow that advice. I didn't want to listen to that. Um, As you know, I I have 30 years of background now in, in craniosacral therapy. So after studying the brain, I knew that my son's brain could heal. But I had to figure out with autism how that could happen. And it came down to what I now call the four stages after a decade, over a decade of research of, of you know, healing the gut and, uh, and heavy metal detoxification, clearing those co-infections and brain support and repair, all very, very important. And I've got a, a free webinar for you uh, at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop that explains all of those pieces and basically the steps that I used. Today, my son is now fully recovered from his symptoms of autism. And I like to share those resources with you so you can get the optimum results for your child. And for this month of April, I do have a an event going on where I'm giving a free resource every single day for the month of April. Um, some something value. Please, please go get those at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 30 days, three zero days. And today is very, very exciting because we are talking about a topic that affects every single one of us. And uh, very, very important step one in autism recovery, and that is diet and nutrition. Now, a lot of people wonder, can food really make a difference in, in a child? Can, uh, can changing their diet, uh, you know, really help that much? And I see parents battle over this one. So it's good that you have more facts to back it up with when you're working at, at doing this and understanding why, because I think knowing why what you're doing is knowing the why behind it helps you to really be more proactive with it, understanding that food is medicine and it makes a huge difference for our kids because we've got to get their 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 gut absorbing the foods that they're eating. So we've got to heal the gut and and foods will help do that. They have pathogenic bacteria in the gut that we need to help uh, clear and balance. So food is very important. And uh, I've done some episodes in the past on some genetic issues that can cause some kids to be sensitive to some foods and others not to be. Uh, And so I'll link to everything I've created uh, uh, that we'll talk about in this episode today uh, at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 36. Just the numbers 36 because this is episode 36. And today we have our special guest, Julie Matthews, with us. I'm going to give you a little bit of Julie's background because she is a nutrition specialist and she specializes in in, uh, nutrition with autism spectrum disorder. So today should be a really great conversation for you to be in on. Julie Matthews is a certified nutrition consultant and published nutrition researcher specializing in complex neurological conditions, particularly autism spectrum disorders. She's the author of an award-winning book, Nourishing Hope for Autism, and co-author of a comprehensive study providing the effect Efficacy and Nutrition and Dietary Intervention for Autism, published in the peer-reviewed journal Nutrients. 
Julie's approach stems from her 17 years of clinical research with autism and addresses the bio-individual nutrition needs of each person. Using autism as a model for addressing complex chronic disease, her methodology helps practitioners specializing in varied disorders improve the health and healing of their clients through strategic therapeutic diet information intervention. She has a private practice in San Francisco, California, and supports families and clinicians from around the world with her learning tools and professional training courses. And I have linked to her website, nourishinghope.com and bioindividualnutrition.com as well on the page that, again, I've created for you um, on for this episode, again, naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 36. Um, because if you're out, if you're driving your car or you're out on your morning walk listening to this, I want to make sure you know uh, where you can go back and get the show notes from. And Julie, welcome and thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Karen. It's so great to be here. You have so much value to share with parents of children with autism around nutrition, and it is basically step one. You know, it's so important and, and ongoing, not only for the initial aspects of changing health and behavior, but also um, to, to maintain health and behavior. So maybe we should really just start right at the beginning. Like, why does food and nutrition matter so much with autism? And, um, you know, just why would, why would that make a difference for parents? Why should they know that? Absolutely. So autism is a neurological condition. Everything that goes on in our brain and our nervous system really comes from all the underlying factors and systems and nutrients and biochemistry that's going on in our body. So when something's going on in our brain, then we, we want to look at what's underlying that challenge and how do we help it. And a lot of it comes from uh, the underlying systems of digestion and detoxification and immune function, as well as uh, the nutrients that we get in or don't get in. And all of these things have a a role in whether our brain is able to make the neurotransmitters it needs and fire as it needs to. And if it has uh, an ability to reduce inflammation and all of those kinds of things, and all of those affect how we think, how we feel, how we learn, how we behave. And so when we address the, the like you said, the, the foundational component of making our system healthy we can address all that other kind of biochemical chaos that can go on when that's not working well. And what kind of things, uh, I mean, basically there's a lot of, a lot of information out there about gluten-free and casein-free. And um, for if, if most, most people for that, well, I'll, I'll explain it briefly, but gluten is the uh, protein in wheat and casein is the protein in dairy. And those particular proteins can cause a lot of harm. And um, so, so Julie, could you maybe start out, that's kind of square one. We'll start out with that because most, most people have heard about it. They might not understand why that's so important, what, what damage those can cause, and uh, why it's so important to stay away from those inflammatory foods. Um, so those and, and other things as well, you know, some processed carbohydrates, et cetera. But you want to give a little background maybe on, on some of the, the key components and foods to stay away from and why? Sure. Let's start with GFCF on that then. So uh, as you said, you, you just defined gluten and uh, casein. So basically it's um, avoiding wheat and dairy as well as some other 
proteins and grains and things like that. So, uh, you know, the proteins in wheat and the proteins in um, gluten, uh, dairy and all of that. And what happens is uh, these foods are very challenging to break down. And when we're not able to break them down, a number of things happen. One, we can get inflammation. When we get inflammation, that can be start in the gut usually because that's where the food hits first and actually can become systemic inflammation. And we know that kids with or people with autism generally have ongoing inflammation in the brain. So removing ongoing daily sources of inflammation from avoiding those foods is a great first piece of the puzzle. And then when you are not able to break those foods down properly, and you can end up with these opioid compounds, which literally uh, fit in the opioid receptor and function like other opiates do. So the protein, um, the proteins are hard to break down, especially if your digestion's not really working well. Then those long proteins uh, fragment into these chains that mimic morphine, heroin, all of those opiate compounds. So you can imagine they're incredibly addictive. So I, most children that I've worked with autism eat mostly milk and bread and cheese and pizza and chicken nuggets and things that have wheat and dairy in them. And uh, they can create, uh, if you think about what happens if you take too many opiates, well, you can not only get addicted to them, but you might have trouble um, with irritability. You might have trouble forming your words and a variety of other things like that. Right. And parents notice that their kids are usually craving carbohydrates. They're, you know, some people who don't know, yes. I don't think it's fun. They're like, oh, yeah, my kid just loves crackers and bread. And and it's and I want to there's this whole thing that I have in my head going on, like, oh, they're addicted. We need to take a short mm-hmm. break right here. But when we come back, we will uh, further this discussion on um, the foods that um, are best to eat and also the ones to avoid as well. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We will be right. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Thank you for being here with us today. We are discussing food and nutrition as it relates to autism and their needs, their special needs. And food, again, is medicine. It can help us to um, to heal the gut lining, to eradicate pathogenic bacteria that's overgrown in the gut. Uh, and also it can, the bad foods can help to feed those things like processed carbohydrates and sugars, as well as gluten and casein that we were discussing a little bit before the break. And it's very important to know, you know, to, to stay away from, you know, some of those, those inflammatory foods. And I've got a guide on the page that I created at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 36 um, that for this show that you can, um, you can pick up to, you know, know some of those top, top uh, seven foods to avoid, but because they're so inflammatory. But Julie, why don't we talk a little bit about how parents could get started? Because it seems, you know, our kids are picky eaters, which we definitely should address. And, um, mm-hmm. and so how would you say a parent should get started first steps? Okay, well, I guess that, that, that there's, I guess it depends how we answer that question. So if we're, if we want to continue on to the conversation that we were just having about gluten and casein. There's certain things to understand about it. But before I even get there, when, when I'm 
suggesting uh, how to get started, uh, I have sort of the six essentials, the six nutrition essentials um, to help improve, you know, health, learning, and behavior. And those actually start with before you even get the gluten and casein. So those start with removing, uh, avoiding junk food and getting all of that artificial junk out of the diet. So that would actually be my first step, um, typically. So be getting rid of artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, all that stuff that Sadly, we find in junk food more than, or kids' food more than we find in any other food even. So that would be actually my first step. Um, if we want to talk about how would you navigate this world that we were just talking about, about gluten and dairy, well, it would be looking at the foods your child's already eaten or already eating gluten. Um, it comes not only in wheat, but rye, barley, spelt, kamut, a variety of other uh, grains. So be, you know, really becoming educated on what those are and what the substitutes are. So, uh, substitutes might be for, for gluten might be other gluten free grains. So they might be rice. They might be potatoes. They might be sweet potatoes, um, quinoa, uh, millet, things like that. Uh, if we're looking at dairy, we would look at non-dairy things like coconut. Coconut milk, maybe maybe a coconut ice cream treat or something. And again, well, we can get to sugar at some point because there are sort of various answers to this question depending on where you're starting and where you're trying to get to. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend eating uh, sugar and ice cream every day is a good idea. But you know, if you have a birthday party and you want your child to go have fun and socialize and uh, get to have a treat like everybody else, then that might be a good substitute for that particular um, event. So that's a little bit about uh, gluten and casein, kind of where we find them. And you can find a substitute for most things. There's a few things that are hard, but for the most part, we can find gluten-free pasta and gluten-free bread and, and uh, gluten-free crackers. And there's some really, really great ones out today compared to, gosh, even five years ago. But uh, from when I started 17 years ago, there it's vastly different, and there are a lot of options that you have. Some of those gluten-free pastas you have to be careful of because they are filled with other sort of junky things and a lot of processed carbohydrates that can feed the, like candida and other pathogenic bacteria. So um, it's kind of minimizing, or some I notice now they're made with, um, maybe it's got um, a combination of, of different uh, vegetables that it's made from, or uh, maybe it's made from uh, some lentils or something like that versus tapioca flour or potato flour and those kinds of things that really turn to sugars in the body. So it is important to kind of look at the ingredients because sometimes just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, it can end up being a, a just, just a big hunk of other junk food as well. So it's good to kind of look oh, at those ingredients. Absolutely. Most candy uh, is gluten-free and dairy-free. We're certainly not <laughs> suggesting that people do that. That's why I put kind of the sugar in it. So like we'll have a discussion about that separately. But, you know, when there's people that are brand new and they're just starting out, um, the idea of giving up all grains, all starches, and not only having to navigate a world where 95% of the food they probably are eating has some sort of wheat in it to just something without wheat, sometimes that first step can just be understanding what has gluten and what doesn't. And that can take people a really long way. So, you know, you know my organization is called Nourishing Hope for a Reason, which is that I really want to nourish hope in people that they can do it and that it's possible. So I really like to start with those very first steps. But absolutely, as we go through this conversation, we can absolutely take it to many other levels of 
uh, things people can do once they've already started with those basics if they find that uh, more is helpful. And very often, continuing to make the diet healthier and evolve it more is uh, a really good uh, way to go. Right. And these kids are, you know, children with autism are very commonly picky eaters. They might only eat five foods or, you know, a parent just the, the stress level goes up immensely when they hear they have to pull some of their kids' favorite foods and they're like, that's all they'll eat. And part of that right. is because the gut needs to be healed. And I, I knew this with my own son, so I like to share that with parents. Like he was a really picky eater, but once, and it does take time. It's a process. So don't, don't stress out about cha- making all the changes in one day. Do it over a slow period mm-hmm. of time so that your child can adjust as well as you. We don't want to cause more stress. Um, and, it, you know, one thing at a time even, and, and as Julie's mentioning, some of these, the, the gluten-free um, substitutes can be a great way to segue into, you know, eventually removing other, you know, grains and other processed carbohydrates from their diet as well, um, because we don't want to feed the candida and the pathogenic bacteria, and we want their gut to heal. My son now, he's not a picky eater at all. All of those issues he had once upon a time are gone, and I like to to Wonderful. give that piece of hope to parents because it is tough, you know, when you're in the middle of it mm-hmm. to uh, to get them to shift and and it's a it's a process. So I say give yourself a little yeah. time and let yourself, you know, get there along the way, you know, on this uh, this path. We need to take a short break right here, but uh, when we come back, we'll talk further about this picky eating and um, really get into maybe a little bit more of how you can be effective and successful with the um, the dietary issues with autism. So stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there, and welcome back. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I am your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking to you about nutrition and autism, and we have Julie Matthews with us today. She's a certified nutrition nutritional consultant who specializes in working with parents and uh, practitioners about the nutritional needs of children on the autism spectrum. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about picky eating and some of the um, different types of, of foods and diets. And I think that, that Julie, that might be a good place for us to, to continue with a little bit because some parents are really have a hard time with this issue. And so, you know, we want to to educate them on some of the the food issues involved and then, you know, maybe why they're picky eating. So um, if you want to talk about some of the the special diet pieces that are important for autism. Okay, great. All right. So, uh, and, and, you know, if you have a picky eater, uh, realize that you are not alone. In fact, a vast majority of children on the autism spectrum uh, have 
picky eating um, challenges, you know, around um, self-restriction around foods and things like that. So little by little, um, you can get there little by little starting to substitute one food for another or making one little change. And um, also remember when foods are addictive, you're going to want to eat more of those foods. So as you eat less of those foods or as you take those out, then the diet very much opens up. And I've seen that time and time again. So always get some help for picky eating if you need to. There's lots of people out there. Um, there's lots of uh, different approaches to it. Uh, so just be aware that it's something that I'm always doing. Anytime I provide, you know, recipes or vegetable ideas, I'm always looking at how to make them a good texture and ways that kids would like them. So um, just keep that in mind. We can come back to the picky eating thing. But, you know, Karen was asking a little bit about, you know, what are some of these other diet approaches and things that you might look at and so there are, as she was saying earlier, there's grain-free diets and starch-free diets. So those would take the gluten-free diet and then include the removal of all even gluten-free grains. So it would remove the potato. Well, that would be a starch. But that, you know, the, um, that would remove rice and corn and quinoa. It would remove, um, uh, you know, a variety of starches, like potatoes and sweet potatoes, those types of things. And that's because of, of a couple fold. Again, uh, these foods in the digestive system that's already irritated, these can add more irritation, which can affect digestion. Anytime digestion's not working well, we can't absorb our food and we can't digest our food and therefore we can't absorb our food and the nutrients in our food. So it's important that digestion is not impeded and the gastrointestinal system is not irritated. And sometimes there, these uh, gluten, I'm sorry, yeah, these gluten-free grains, just the grains in general and the starches can really cause a variety of issues. They can also feed some of the uh, microorganisms that are out of balance. Maybe there's too much uh, candida overgrowth or, um, you know, whatever that might be. And so those can feed those, again, adding to the inflammation and the irritation and then just create this uh, problematic cycle. So sometimes people will remove all of those. Uh, then we also have a variety of other diets that I would look at because uh, what I really try to look at is what's the unique underlying biochemistry and um, systems at play for that individual? What, what imbalances might they have going on? And which direction would we like to take it? So then I look at all sorts of other things like low salicylate, low histamine, low glutamate, low oxalate, all these variety of other diets. But it really depends kind of where you are in your journey. Um, I always like to start with the simplest uh, things that impact the most people first, like gluten and dairy, uh, and then go from there and see what improves and see what might need to be refined next based on the symptoms that they still have, based on um, where where their challenges lie, those can give us a lot of information on what might be other dietary approaches that could be helpful. Right, and every child's got, you know, along with the genetic issues, there's a little bit more um, sensitivities for some. 
Um, I think it's great if we, we look at oxalates and phenols and salicylates and histamines, like you had mentioned. Histamines, a lot of kids don't have the DAO enzyme. It's not working properly. It's been mutated, and that's a genetic issue. And uh, I re- recently did a show um, with Dr. Bob Miller on um, on SNP, on genes and autism. And that one, you know, being affected by environment, there are a lot of environmental factors that are affecting our genes today. So we ha- may have sensitivities that years ago we may not have because that gene might not have been Mm -hmm. affected so it's important to look at you know okay just like you just mentioned Julie what are your child's symptoms and if you notice that they're eating a food a particular food and they're having more behavioral outbursts or they're not sleeping well all of a sudden uh, and they had been then those are strong indications for a parent to know okay that food is is not acceptable right now for for my child Mm so um, to give some background, these are all important um, pieces. I mean, that we can. There's there's so much to talk about here. This is literally like ten shows here we could do. But why yes. don't we? Um, <laughs> we can start looking at um, at some of these that we mentioned: oxalates, salicylates, phenols, and histamines. And um, and and do you have one that uh, you think would be good to to start with, just to give a little background to our listeners, so they know what these are, what to look for, and maybe maybe any symptoms or things that you've n- noticed or substitutes that they could use as well. Sure, I like to talk first about salicylates because uh, they affect a lot of children uh, with autism. Um, as well as ADHD and other things as well. Uh, and these can occur both artificially in the artificial ingredients we talked about earlier, which is you know, one of the reasons I removed those uh, first, and also in a lot of natural uh, foods. And here's where it gets tricky because these are really wonderfully nutritious foods. So I'm not suggesting that every family just go remove all of them forever, uh, that would not be an approach that would be, uh, in my opinion, a good nutritional approach. Um, but these foods occur in a lot of foods that our kids are eating where they don't eat any vegetables. They eat tons of fruit, and we think, wow, this is great. At least they're eating tons of fruit. The challenge is, is that uh, fruit, as well as vegetables, but uh, particularly a lot of the fruits are very high in these salicylate compounds like grapes and raisins and grape juice and apple juice and apples and berries and uh, ketchup and these kinds of things. And when we are not able to process these properly, uh, which again is common in these conditions we just mentioned, um, then what we end up, what we can get uh, symptomizes a lot of hyperactivity, irritability, uh, red cheeks, red ears, uh, aggression, uh, sleeping challenges, things like that. And so what I sometimes see is people will take out gluten and dairy, but their child doesn't get any better or doesn't get really the results they were hoping for until they take out those salicylates that might have been masking those benefits. So I like to mention this one because uh, it can be an area that parents don't realize can be impacting their child. Right. They might not realize that a, a certain piece of fruit might really be having enough sugar or enough salicylates in them. And like you said, this this uh, sort of this chemical, this, this compound that's in these foods that would trigger certain behaviors, physical or health issues in a child. And we need to take a short break right here. But when we come back, we are definitely going to continue this discussion uh, on these specific foods. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be 
Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And thank you for being here today. I want to make sure that you know that all the show notes that uh, and everything I can link to for you will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 36. That's the numbers three six for uh, anything that we discussed today because there are a lot of different pieces. We talked about salicylates before this last break and um, certain foods you can remove and certain behavioral symptoms you might notice. But if you want to know, dig a little bit deeper into knowing what those are, uh, I have linked to a resource on that page for you. Um, and it refers to the fine gold diet if you haven't heard of that yet. But they, the, the, I wrote a brief article just to give you some background on what salicylates are a little bit more because we want to make sure we get to a lot of the topics that are important here so we won't dive as deep into the what and why but letting you know what they are foods and behaviors to look for and then you can find deeper resources on that page there so i think it, it would be important to really talk to talk about histamines today because as i mentioned earlier in the show the dao enzyme is very commonly mutated in children with autism and with with generally with a lot of people and there are environmental factors that are affecting our genetics today and and so we see more of these histamine sensitivities so julie would you give a little background on what the histamines are and the responses and some you know some trigger foods and things that parents might want to look for Sure. Excuse me. I like to um, let's like broaden out histamine a little bit and include histamine and you know amines in general. And the reason I thought it'd be good to go on to this one next is just sort of biochemically they're uh, a bit related to salicylates. And um, not histamine per se, but uh, other amines are also phenols like salicylates. So in other words, they they share some biochemistry there on one level. And um, a lot of histamine foods are also rich in other amines like tyramine and other things that would be phenolic. So, in other words, you start to bog down the system and the pathways, and then you can have trouble with a variety of these foods. And then, as you mentioned, Karen, histamine, although it's not phenolic, um, it's processed in a different way, and it involves that DAO enzyme. And so, long story short, um, uh, there are a lot of foods that – uh, and similar symptoms, actually, between salicylates and histamine and amines. So those might be some of the things I described, but also um, very much if you think about histamine as involved with allergies, then you think about um, inflammation and congestion and hives and um, irritability, maybe headaches or um, things like that. Uh, it could also be behavioral thing, uh, symptoms as well. And so these are found in um, a variety of foods, particularly, again, some of the foods that are really nutritious that we would do on some of these healthy diets like sauerkraut and fermented foods, which I love, or bone broth and chicken broth, things like that, which, again, I really do think are uh, wonderful to add to a diet. Um, a couple things happen. Sometimes these, sometimes some of these special diets become, I think, um, imbalanced and super heavy on some of these foods, um, which I don't necessarily think is the way we always consume them. Um, also, uh, based on a variety of other underlying uh, biochemical challenges, they can uh, get reactions to them. So whether it's, um, it could be bone broths, it could be sauerkraut, it could be anything that's fermented, anything that's really um, simmered and, you know, kind of 
broken down for a long time, which again is wonderful things like bone broth and things like slow cooked meats, which I really love and kids think are really often very tasty. Um, but for some people that can create a lot of physical and behavioral challenges associated with them. Um, there's a variety of other foods as well, foods that can um, contain histamines, histamine as well as foods that can help that release histamine. Um, so, you know, and there are, um, whether it's my website or other websites, there are a lot of good resources for, you know, what high histamine foods are, what low histamine uh, foods are, and, you know, talking more about mast cell activation and things like that. Yeah, next month I will have, be having a, a, a guest on that will be dis- discussing the mast cell, uh, mast cell activation due to a lot of these these factors too. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And it's right. important to like sauerkraut and bone broth, these fermented foods, a lot of people are touting, oh, really pump up on your fermented foods. Well, you've got to be really careful because of the histamine sensitivity for some kids starting out very slowly and seeing, um, I say, with even with bone broth, a tablespoon or two before a meal helps coat the gut lining, gives us a, a bit of a protein source, but watch your child's reactions and see if you notice anything. Um, I teach muscle testing in my program. I think it's important that parents know when a food is going to be acceptable even prior to to them ingesting it and how much might be acceptable because the, the glutamines in, in these foods also turn, sometimes they, they can turn into glutamate. And then so just like monosodium glutamate, which is MSG, they're excitatory to the brain and they can actually cause a lot of, of hyperactivity, anxiety, uh, and a lot of stimulatory problems there. And we haven't mentioned yet too, it's very important um, with that. I always think this goes without saying, but then it needs to be said to make sure everybody is reminded that the foods that you eat should also be organic and as healthy as possible and as close to the source as possible and um, avoiding pesticides. Um, I know moms have written to me and said they their child was doing well and she bought something out of the frozen section at the grocery store and it wasn't organic or child had a reaction. And it was, you know, something he'd eaten before, but it was, it had pesticides on it. And then there's the glyphosate mm. issue. And I'll, I'll link again at, at, on the show notes to the interview I did with Stephanie Sinophon glyphosate, which is in a lot of our foods, which is another troublesome area. But um, just knowing to eat organic. So you can avoid... A lot of those other yes. issues that can come up, you know, it's just one more way to, to have a, a step up on things. Um, and so yes, from, and it's funny you mentioned that because, sorry, you just, no, you yeah. just uh, mentioned step, steps one, three, and five. So it's funny that it's like every other one of my program. <laughs> step one is artificial stuff. Step three is a healthy organic and step five is a GFCF. <laughs> it's a great year. They're touching a little bit on some of my first steps. <laughs> well, yeah, our steps are the advice. same, right? They, our steps are the same because mm. they should be. We should be on the same page because these are the these are the important things for, for parents to know uh, to, you know, really to be aware of uh, when they're feeding their child, especially a child with the, the sensitivities that, that a child with autism has because they are often Absolutely. much more sensitive. And, um, and you'll find that the leaf doesn't fall too far from the tree that the the parents and the siblings uh, will also have sensitivities so it's important to watch your children your other children as well and yourself and and again you know eating organic whenever possible we need to take a short break right here you're listening to naturally recovering autism stay with us we will be right back Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better 
After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Thank you so much for being here today and being a proactive parent and getting the resources that you need. Today, we are talking about all things nutrition and autism, and we have nutritional consultant and specialist Julie Matthews with us. And uh, before the break, we were talking about a couple of things. We've talked about salicylates and histamines and things that, you know, histamines you've you're familiar with certain uh, inflammatory or allergic responses your child can have and um, and also you know making sure that you eat organically as well as possible and that uh, you're avoiding a lot of the chemicals that are on our foods today because those are more chemicals and more toxins we're putting into our child who needs detoxification their livers are congested their lymphatic systems are backing up and they really can't take more uh, more chemicals into their body and we breathe enough in our air as it is around us even when we're in a fairly healthy environment today it's just the way it is on planet earth so anything that you can do the te- steps you can take can make it um, make you know to help toward prevention is is going to be helpful as well so i was thinking uh julie that we could talk about oxalates they are another factor that's really important they're in also in many um, healthy foods as well and uh, i do know they also can attract and trap heavy metals um, so um and controlling candida overgrowth can really help the body to eliminate oxalates as well so so candida balancing and eradication is really important. But could you give some background on what oxalates are and certain foods and symptoms to look for? Sure, absolutely. So oxalates are uh, these molecules that come in plant foods that are made by the plant as their defense mechanism. And at very, very high levels, um, oxalate is toxic. That's what makes really most house plants toxic is the oxalate in there. So at some level, they, um, they're problematic for everyone. Now, most of them are in normal levels and most of us can, we have good bacteria that can break them down. We've got a good solid uh, gut lining. We get a lot of minerals in our diet, you know, all those good things. For most of us, it's really not a factor. I mean, it might inhibit some mineral absorption for the average healthy person, but usually isn't too much of a factor. But for certain people, they can create um, a lot of challenges. Now, some people get, as we know, most people might be familiar with them if they are in terms of kidney stones. But what we found in kids with autism uh, is that they could have no kidney issues and still have quite significant issues with oxalate. Uh, there was a study done in 2011 on um, oxalates and autism and found extremely high levels. And the, the challenge with oxalate is that they can 
uh, bind to minerals and uh, cause some pretty significant mineral deficiency. They can also um, uh, create a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation. They can also get into the cell and affect energy production. And so uh, they can cause a lot of pain. So if you think of, uh, you know, uh, kidney stones, what people say, how incredibly painful they are. So oxalates just in general um, can create a lot of pain and inflammation, oxidative stress, which can start to deplete all of those precious underlying resources and biochemical pathways that we need that might already be a little burdened from other things that we're talking about. So oxalates can be an area um, to look into. Now, this is one that I definitely recommend reading before you start implementing um, because you want to really take it very methodically and really, you know, have a good understanding of it before proceeding on it. And it's not typically the first place that I start, but I have seen um, oxalates be very important in uh, understanding in the process for certain people's healing approach. And those are in uh, foods like nuts, nut flowers, uh, potatoes, chocolate, uh, grains, uh, beans. And so sometimes these are really healthy foods. Sometimes we take out uh, the artificial ref or the refined stuff and we add, um, instead of, you know, we were just talking about grains. Instead of grains, people will do nut flowers. Well, nut flowers are outrageously high in oxalate. So that can add up really quickly. Uh, things like spinach. I mean, getting good greens is great, but if we're doing a smoothie spinach every, a spinach smoothie every day, um, then that can be, uh, you know, a, a big challenge for some people because of the really high levels of oxalate that are in there. So I think just having an awareness of oxalate can be a place to start. I think doing some research on the common symptoms. As I said, you know, on my website, I have all of these things, the, the common symptoms, the foods, the food lists, all of that. So you can look through it more and kind of see if this is an area that you would like to uh, do a little bit more uh, looking into. Yeah, that is important. And it, it's, it, as you mentioned these, uh, I'm sure our listeners are getting this too, that a lot of these symptoms can overlap. A histamine sensitivity, uh, whether it's behavioral or red skin or uh, sometimes a, a rash, various things they, they can be from they can all sound the same. I mean, it could be from oxalates. It could be yeah. from histamines. So, you know, that's where you want to be able to sort of narrow down where it was coming from because um, I know my daughter can't eat arugula or she her face will break mm. out knives. And I know it's oxalates mm. as well. Yeah. And for like kale and spinach, I will, um, I'll like steam it for just about three minutes to get some of the oxalic acid out of it and then make sure I dump out the water so that because a lot of those have, you know, steamed down into the water and then it does, it seems to be okay that way, but I have to be careful if I eat it raw. So completely raw without mm. any parsed steam. So, you know, there are little tricks sometimes that'll work for you and depending on your level of sensitivity as well. And I know that oxalates can make it harder to digest fats and our kids will often have trouble digesting fats. And um, mm -hmm. it's common for the gallbladder to be backing up because it's affected by the liver, which is trying to process the, the, the toxin. So, you know, it's all everything's got this this connection somehow and a somewhat of a domino effect that can happen as well. So it's good to just have this knowledge and then start isolating, um, you know, foods one at a time. Like that's why I say one new thing at a time. Absolutely. And uh, yes, I totally didn't mean to interrupt, but that is such nope. a good point. And that's, you know, it took me 
uh, years and years and years to figure out, uh, you know, there isn't an exact order for everybody because everybody's different, but it did take me a while to figure out, okay, well, where do I want to start? What are the easiest things and the most problematic things to get rid of first? Where do you go next? To, to create a really step-by-step uh, -step approach on where you want to start with diet, which diets you want to look at next, what other things you want to consider after that, where do you want to consider oxalate, how do you remove it? And not to create um, overwhelm for people, but just to say that, um, you know, it is a, it, each of these things takes time to explore, and you can't explore them all simultaneously, or you'd have no foods left. So it's really this process of taking things one at a time. So that's why, you know, I, I created this very kind of step-by-step -step process for people to go through each of the diet pieces and kind of see which ones are uh, going to be the, uh, you know, maybe the, the biggest areas to look into for their particular child. Yeah, absolutely. And every child is, is unique and individual. So no two people are the same. And um, in in my mentoring program, I have a full page of multiple tutorial videos where I teach muscle testing, but I will on this page at naturallyrecoveringautism.com uh, forward slash 36 for the show notes for today, I will link to uh, one of my, my muscle testing videos so you can get an idea of something that you could do to test uh, prior to your, your child ingesting any food or supplement, and then also being able to ask about dosages as well, how much they can take, because it, it's such a powerful component to have that that sense of of you know I know what to do or you know rather than this this fear of going into every new food and not knowing what's causing it, um, so um, I will add that to the page as well. Uh, it's not there yet, but I will add it today. Um, so uh, we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about all things nutrition with nutrition and autism, and you can find all of the links to uh, our resources to what we were discussing in today's show at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 36, just a number three, six. I do want to make sure that you remember that for this month of April, for every day of the month as Autism Awareness Month, I am giving out a free resource and at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 30 days. So you can pick up those resources there as well. And uh, Julie, why don't we, um, what would you like to, to finish with? We just have a few minutes left. And uh, is there anything top of mind uh, that you think would be helpful or anything actionable that we haven't already mentioned that you think would be helpful for parents to hear? 
Julie, uh, are you there? Take people oh. step by can you hear me? Oh, you cut out me? there for just a minute. Now I can. Uh oh. <laughs> um, you know what might be good is that actually you're speaking of step by step, step by step. I actually have a step by step guide that takes people through the first steps of my program and also gives them some good actionable first steps to look at. And that's called the six nutrition essentials for improving health, learning, behavior in your child. And so we could make that guide um, available to people. And that might be a way that they can kind of put some of the pieces together that we've been talking about today and um, take people from there. Okay, that sounds good. I will link to it on the show notes. And um, yeah. yeah, it's good to be able to have have a way to take actionable steps and feel a little bit more confident with what you're doing as well. Um, and uh, is there anything else you'd like to, to finish up with? Um, well, I mean, you know, as I said, since I'm all about nourishing hope, I just want to sort of encourage people that I know we talked about a lot of different diet things. And if you've been doing this a long time, this might be stimulating and exciting. And if you're brand new to this, it might be overwhel- might feel overwhelming. So just, you know, I like to just encourage people to start where you are, start with one little step at a time and little by little make your way, you know. Um, and if you have just any general, infer- you know, questions or things, you can always follow us at, you know, on nourishinghope.com and also online and various other places as well. So hopefully that we gave you some things that you could uh, get you started and um, ways to connect with those of us that are um, Nourishing Hope um, as we go along here. So hopefully those will be helpful to people that are looking for uh, some more information. And I wish everybody well on their journey. Yeah, and it is quite a journey. And please, um, you know, be kind to yourself along the way as you're the parent. I know it's it's tricky to change a child's diet and the picky eating issues and, um, you know, using uh, the reward system sometimes can be helpful. A bite of something they want for a bite of something you'd like them to eat and just very slowly transitioning the diet. And then I, I will tell you, once their gut does start to heal, because they literally have, many of them have what's called leaky gut, and there are holes in the lining of their digestive tract and it allows undigested foods to leak into the bloodstream and then those are seen by the immune system as foreign agents to fight so they develop allergies to them those toxins are also getting into their organs and their their blood and their tissues including their brain and so that's where you're seeing a lot of all of these physical and behavioral issues come from and it's important when you do heal up the gut lining when that that's what I talk about healing the gut when you really start to heal up some of that leaky gut that that they won't hurt so much when they eat or they won't feel so awful when they eat and if you know to to get rid of some of the the foods that are causing them pain when they eat like maybe some of the oxalates are developing crystals they can cause pain if these things are happening and you don't really know it or why your child has perhaps associated food with discomfort and anxiety And so once they start to feel better, once that leaky gut heals up, then I've heard from parents, oh my gosh, my child wouldn't eat anything and now they'll eat everything. In fact, they're asking me for food constantly and that's because they have sort of gone over that hump. They have finally had enough gut healing and restoration that the the child is now seeing food as a good thing and, and feeling better when they eat. So 
Julie, thank you so much for being here with us today. I greatly appreciate your time, your experience, your expertise, and and sharing with us. And uh, everybody, remember that uh, that we're here for you. You're not alone. Take it slowly, one step at a time. Uh, all the resources I talked about again are at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash thirty six for today's show notes. Have a great week. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we look forward to 